2: You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is Tara, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, this is Lynn Frere, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast.
1: This is Nasima, and you're listening to the What's Up Next
3: podcast. This is Daniel Diaz, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast.
1: Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence.
4: Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So Paul Thompson, what's up next? Doc, we have four guests on the line today, and the question is, is there a unique advantage to being a nurse on the path to financial independence? Each of the four guests have a unique insight onto this question, and we'll give each of them a chance to do a quick introduction, and then we're going to dig into the conversation. Daniel, do you mind going first and giving us a quick introduction, please?
3: Yeah, I am a nurse. I worked in the operating room most recently at a trauma hospital. And uh, now I'm working for Trusted Health, which is a tech startup that is bringing transparency and just that modern new app feel to the nursing hiring space, which is desperately needed. Wonderful. We're really glad you had on here. And Tara, you're a
4: returning guest. You were on a previous episode where you took over the audience episode and we're going to give you a chance to give a quick introduction and give us a little bit about how we got to this episode and then we'll move on to the other folks for introductions.
5: Hi, my name's Tara. I'm a nurse from Nebraska. I started blogging at MidwestMiser.com to give some of my coworkers some extra insight to some of the things that I've been up to and why I feel like it's so important that nurses save money. And my reason for wanting to have a nurse podcast, a nurse directed podcast, is because so many folks are talking about these 100000 $200,000 salaries, and we are not feeling that in the Midwest at all. We are starting off at $29 an hour as a brand new grad. I recently took a survey from the RN to Wealthy Facebook group, and the, most of us are graduating with twenty dollars to $60,000 of student loans, and it's a real hard hole to dig out of when you're making $29 an hour.
4: Wonderful. Thank you for joining us again. Tara actually suggested this topic when we were talking with her offline and asking, what other topics are we not covering? So we want to hear that from the audience and then bring in conversations with a panel group of people to talk about this very thing. Lynn do you mind giving us a quick introduction?
0: I'm Lynn Frere. I live in the Seattle area and I worked as a nurse since 2006 is when I got my RN degree. And I recently left my role as a nurse. I guess you could say I retired in January. And yeah, I have definitely have a lot of thoughts about the nursing space and financial independence and We do have higher incomes here. We also have higher cost of living. So we have different challenges based on the geographic area. So a standard home here, just a basic home is about $750,000, which is a lot when even if you have a higher income, it can be a challenge. So I have lots of thoughts about navigating that.
4: Yeah, looking forward to hearing a little more about that. Okay, Nasima, we'll turn to you for introduction and then we will really dig in.
1: All right. So I'm Ms. of Financially Intentional. I am a labor and delivery nurse of almost 10 years in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm originally from Oakland. I do have one of those $200,000 salaries, but I also do live in a high cost of living area. So um, I was able to pay off a million dollars in debt, all relative, in two and a half years. And so that's where Financially Intentional was born. But I think that because I'm a nurse, I do have some particular advantages that other people don't. And so I love being able to speak to this particular audience.
2: All right. I'm going to kick off with you, Daniel. And we're going to run this question through the panel. But I was thinking about my own career path. And the idea of becoming a doctor was pretty much innate. I remember at the youngest of ages, people asking me, what are you going to do for a living? And me saying, well, I'm going to be a doctor. And in a sense, in a big way, it was a very emotional decision. I wouldn't say that logic really played a role in it. With you, Daniel, when it comes to nursing, was it a logical decision or an emotional one?
3: Both. I have a family full of doctors. And so everybody was always like, you're going to be a doctor. When are you going to be a doctor? And then through the process of going to pre-med and stuff like that, I kind of had this realization where I was like, it didn't seem like my relatives really liked their lifestyle (laughs) that much. And my dad was constantly on the phone, constantly getting called away, constantly late for things because, you know, because he was giving patient care. And I didn't like the 24-7, 365 style of being a physician. And so I kind of asked myself, well, what am I going to do next? And I was very, very good at medicine because that's all I ever knew growing up in this family. And so it, the logical progression for me was to get into nursing. And then in nursing school, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a much better lifestyle. So it, was, it was imminently clear that I could get a lot of the upside without as much of the downside as being a physician.
2: Lynn, talk to this point a little bit. Are we born nurses or do we become them after an exhaustive career search?
0: Well, I think it probably depends on the individual. I had initially planned to become a physician. And when I sort of mapped things out, how that would look financially, how that would look with families, I talked with a lot of physicians and it wasn't quite the fit that i was looking for however i liked healthcare i liked medicine and i realized that by having a degree in nursing i would be able to have a, a little bit better balance or that was the hope anyhow and so i think it depends on the individual but for me it was found out a little bit later after i decided not to get take the mcats and to rather actually go back to school to get a nursing degree so that i could practice in healthcare but also not spend a lot of time in formal education.
2: Nasima can you remember back to when you first thought i'm going to be a nurse?
0: Well so similar to Lynn nursing was my
1: second career so i thought i was going to be a doctor so when you grow up um like as kind of like the ghetto savior so i'm from west oakland <laughs> And I was always really smart. So everybody just encouraged me to go to school, like go to the best colleges, get the best career. So I thought I was going to be a doctor. I thought I was going to be a pediatrician. And then I get to SC and I start taking the pre-med classes and I'm like, I'm not about that life. So I actually went the hospital administration route and I had a master's in hospital administration and then saw like all my friends who were nurses, like living their best lives. And then I was like, I need to get on their level because this is super stressful. I don't do bureaucracy. I need to be a nurse. And so after being in the administration for five years, I went back to school to be a nurse. And it's the best decision that I made. I just wish I would have done it earlier.
2: Tara, were you the same as the other three guests? Was the idea of being a doctor primary and then eventually you transitioned to the idea of being a nurse or was it always a nurse for you?
5: You know, it's funny that you asked that. It's often that as nurses, we don't get the question, why did you become a nurse? We get the question, why didn't you become a doctor? I get that more than I got, why did you become a nurse? And it's, it's kind of a funny question. You know, I'm a first generation college graduate from my family. My family actually was kind of surprised I wanted to go to college. They were like, well, you're so good at typing. You'd be a really good secretary. You should do that instead. Why waste all that money? And so during that process, I was taught never, ever take out a loan. You'll regret it. You'll fail. Don't take out loans. Because I don't think the thoughts were that I was ever actually going to graduate. But I did. I actually ended up getting my doctorate in nursing eventually, through the whole process. But it was always a, I was a caregiver. And that was just a natural role for me. But I also loved to be educated. And I loved going to school. And I went through school many, many years. I think I ended up in 11 years of college. And it was never a thought of I should be a doctor because I knew I couldn't afford the student loans because I was never going to take out a student loan.
2: Daniel, it seems like there are emotional reasons not to become a doctor and true fiscal reasons not to become a doctor. You've made an argument in a blog post that I read of yours that fiscally, you may do better as a nurse. Is that true? And why is that so?
3: Yeah, so I'm all about the FIRE life, the financial independence, retire early movement. And I was writing this a blog piece for Trusted Health, examining the math behind what your career trajectory is with nursing versus being a physician. And I had always thought in the back of my mind, because of how young I graduated and how much money that I made right out of school, I was like, it has to be a lot closer to doctors than what people think, because everybody assumes that physicians are just rich and that nurses are not. And then when I actually did the math, if you go straight into nursing school from high school, and then you graduate with as little to no debt, I basically, I just took the averages from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So you don't even have to graduate with no debt, but like the average nursing graduate will make about as much as the average uh, physician in the bottom three paid specialties, which is internal medicine, pediatrics, and general medicine. And that people may think, oh, well, those are the three lowest paid specialties, but they actually make up the majority of physician graduates, pure number-wise. So when you extrapolate, like, if both people save an average of 15% of their salary and put it in like an S&P 500 index fund, by the time they're 65, the average nursing graduate and the average physician in those bottom three specialties are going to be about the same in their wealth. And then if you're a nurse out there, if you can graduate without debt, the sky is the limit because you're starting so early. It's all about the compounding interest. Like it, it makes a massive difference in the, the amount of wealth that you generate. And then just like a couple of other interesting things that I found is, so the price of both med school and nursing school has gone up, but the amount of physicians that graduate without debt has also gone up paradoxically, but the amount of grants and scholarships have gone down. So it seems like it's becoming more and more of a rich person's game, like a rich family's game to become a physician, which I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing, but it's just an interesting point. Nasima,
2: what Daniel just said, I would have never believed until I heard your Choose FI episode, which is that the income and wages of a nurse can come very close, if not eclipse some of the lower paying medical specialties. Talk about income. From someone from the Midwest, hearing that you can make $200,000 a year as a nurse blew my mind a little bit.
1: So I had the advantage of just being a nurse in the Bay Area, and that's all that I know. So when I came out of nursing school and I worked at one of the lowest paying facilities in the area, my starting hourly um, wage was like $60 an hour. So that's like my baseline. That's what I know. The reason why we typically make so much is because most nurses that live in the Bay Area have multiple jobs. So like I have a part-time benefited job and then I have my per diem salary. So most of us make $200,000, $300,000 easy. I mean, that's just all I know just because of where I live and just being
5: in the Bay Area. But the cost of living is all relative, Right. I have to tell you, in 2004, my starting wage, $14 an hour. I hit the jackpot. I was so excited. (laughs) And then we got a raise to $17 an hour within that first six months, and we we couldn't believe it. Oh, my God. We were so excited. To hear you starting at that salary is just breathtaking to me because we thought we were just riding high on our $14 an hour. I have to say
1: that recently I've had to take a job. So I actually live in Nevada right now. I still work in the Bay Area, but I live in Nevada. And I recently took a job just for benefits. I'm a part-time benefited job in Nevada. And they told me my starting salary was $38. And I like almost died over the phone. Like I've never like experienced that. And like the staffing part, I mean, the hiring manager was like, is that bad? And I was like, I just don't know. (laughs) Like, I've never gotten paid that low. So it just threw me off guard. But if it wasn't for the benefits, you know, I don't know (laughs) if I would take a salary like that ever.
3: Yeah, I forgot to mention that one of the major points of that blog article that I wrote, and the reason why it's so close between the nurses and the doctors, is it's all about the cost of the education. And so like, this is nationwide, like average across all the states, the average medical school graduates with $96,000 in debt, student loan debt, and then the average nurse is like in the 30s. And you can't get rid of that debt. Like that's just how it it works, right? So when you're starting your career saddled with so much debt, and then we know from compound interest that the earlier you start putting into your retirement account, Makes all the difference in the world. Like that's where that big gap is, you know. So, nurses out there just start putting stuff in your retirement account early. And then, if you don't, then the gap really is non existent and it's in favor of the physicians because they have such a higher income later.
0: I think our three main differences between nursing and physician incomes and how that can relate to financial independence, and a lot of those have been touched on, but one of the big ones, of course, is opportunity cost, potentially up to a decade, and we've seen in compound interest calculators how much a decade can do. So those are two, compound interest and opportunity cost. because rather than earning income, you're going into further debt traditionally. The big thing, too, after graduation, I think, is the lifestyle inflation for a couple reasons, two big reasons for physicians. I think that most physicians, what I've seen, they've had a period of restriction where they've had very limited income, they've worked very hard for a very long time, and they want to spend the now nice money they're earning. And that's a very reasonable, you know, instinct. You also have people external to you And side by side, you, who are also earning nice incomes, who are also tired of perhaps saving and living more frugally. And so the lifestyle inflation that can just naturally come, I think, happens more with physicians than it does with nurses. I think that societal expectation of spending is different uh, in the two professions. So I think those are a lot of the big contributors.
5: I see a lot of lifestyle inflation occur right after nurses graduate too. I mean, the first thing most nurses do is buy a new car and get a dog. And it's like, why are you getting a dog? You work 12-hour shifts. Like, why are you paying Rover so much money right out of nursing school when you should be tackling your debt, driving an old car, getting yourself on your feet, and and, and contributing to your 401ks? I mean, there were so many nurses I used to work with where I'd say, hey, you got to start working towards getting this 401k. Make sure you get your match. Because when we first started at the hospital, They did not automatically enroll anybody. You had to physically go and click the button to get your match. And they were like, I can't afford that. I just got a new car and it just killed me. But now the nurses that did, even with our $14 an hour, the nurses who did start their 401k with me, who I begged them to get their match and annually increase it by 1% every year. Some of those nurses have between 200 and 300,000 in their retirement accounts. And that was just 15 years ago that we started with those low salaries. I have experienced the
1: same thing with nurses. So in the Bay Area, I've noticed that a lot of nurses are the breadwinners for their families. Like their husbands don't work or they just don't bring as much to the tables. And because you're in the Bay Area and you have a high salary, you're expected to have the nice house, the nice cars, So it's like automatic, like most of the nurses that I work with, even with these two and three hundred thousand dollars salaries have nothing in saving, barely contribute to their retirement and they're still broke at the end of the month.
3: I was just thinking when you're mentioning about how a lot of nurses aren't financially literate because we don't really go over it that much in school. And that's a huge point too. I've had conversation with nurses in their 60s and they're like, okay, Daniel, I'm ready to start having that talk about retirement. And I'm like, oh my God, we needed to have this conversation like 40 years ago. It's so important to get on top of it. And the employer matches free money And then we were talking earlier about what are the benefits of being a nurse as opposed to other fields. So after working in a hospital and then also working in the startup world where there's not a lot of benefits and you're paying for your own insurance, the benefits that you get from working for a big healthcare institution are huge. Like the 401A, 403B because they're nonprofits. And then you also have the flexible spending accounts if you have healthcare-related expenses and you can do just so many different really cool things with the retirement accounts available for nursing.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I think can be a challenge for nurses in particular in the finance space is that by nature, folks who are drawn to nursing tend to be very caring individuals, and they tend to put the needs, including the financial needs of others, ahead of themselves. And so what I find is a lot of folks... Who our nurses find the talk of money distasteful. I mean, I think generally that's true for the population in general. It can be a very taboo subject, but particularly with nurses who they, you know, if you talk to them, they're not in it for the money traditionally, but it can put them at a great disadvantage if they don't put their life, you know, and when you're flying an airplane, you're supposed to put your oxygen mask on first. And we don't always do that as nurses in our financial oxygen masks or with any other oxygen masks. But I would challenge folks to really think about how that's affecting their families in the future potentially, and that it can be the greatest gift to them to have your own financial house in order. So I think that is one of the challenges, though, that nurses often face is they want to give so much to others, which is very admirable, but it can put them in a difficult financial bind.
1: I like to say that also, you know, obviously, nursing is a female dominant career, like one of the main ones, besides like teaching. But historically, women are a little bit more risk averse than men. And so investing is something that a lot of women don't actively pursue. I know like in particular, the women that I work with, when you start talking about investing, they really get nervous about it. And for the hospital that I work at, for example, there's this, the financial advisor that runs a 401k, I mean, 403b. He is like this big burly guy that talks in like a deep voice. And a lot of women don't go to him because they're intimidated by him. And they have put off retirement planning for years just because they're scared to talk to him. So, I mean, I've seen that happen. And even in other places that I've worked, just people are scared to initiate those conversations because just like the general population of women, you know, investing is a scary, can be a scary thing. So I think just because we are heavily female dominated, that is perpetuated even more.
5: When I was helping folks set up their 403Bs at our hospital before they had automatic enrollment and I would, you know, kind of use peer pressure to help them set it up. It was so interesting how disassociated they would become with the process. Like they were looking off at other screens and not really paying attention and they didn't want to click the button because they didn't want to have ownership of it. It's like, I legally, I can't tell you what to invest in. I just need you to say, you're going to put 6% in so you get your whole match. And if you want to do a lifestyle fund where, you know, I'm going to retire at 2050, cool, click that button. I can't do it for you and I can't recommend it. But please make sure you increase your automatic in contributions by 1% every year. And a lot of folks, a lot of my friends later on said, I had no idea you clicked that button. I'm putting in 15% right now. Did you know that? Yes, of course I knew what I was doing. I needed you to do it though, and they just did not want ownership of it. They were so anxious to be in charge of their finances. They wanted to say, "Well, Tara had me do this." They didn't want to say, "I chose this. I was my advocate. I was the one that did it." They wanted to say, "Well, Tara set me up." And that was the end of it. It was just so bizarre.
3: Yeah, this is a really fascinating topic for me because I'm one of the weird like niche things that I'm always studying is when everybody is doing something that's not what they think that they're doing. Like, for example, like how everybody uses Q-tips in their ears, but you're not supposed to use Q-tips in your ears and it says so on the box. It's like, it's so random. Like, why are we all doing this wrong thing? Anyway, but I digress because they feel amazing. But um, with finance, like the, one of the really weird things is you mentioned earlier that nurses are really risk averse and that women are also not traditionally the breadwinner. But it turns out, I read some other studies that showed that most of the purchasing decisions in a house are done by the female head of household. And then also, when we're talking about risk, if investing in a low-cost index fund is the least risky thing that you could possibly do, even less risk than than having it in a bank account. So it's just like, it, we're just so far off on this. And then one last point about that, that that's unfortunate as nurses when we get into the field the advisors and the stuff that people put in front of us are often acting in their own best interest. Like, for example, on the blog post I wrote, I showed a side-by-side of these two uh, funds that were available for my retirement account, and one had 60 times higher the fees. And, like, you would have no idea looking at it if you didn't know what an expense ratio was. You would just, you know... And they had the same output, but 60 times higher fees. So when I'm talking to nurses, I'm like, imagine if there was a generic drug and then there was a regular counterpart that was 60 times more expensive and then was less effective like would we recommend that to our patients no no way right but for whatever reason it's totally fine to do that in the finance industry
0: thank you daniel for talking about the gender talking about gender is an important discussion. And, you know, depending on the sources you look at, I think it was Fidelity who did a study in 2017 that looked at male and female investors and the differences potentially. And I don't think this is true for all people, of course. But what they found was that females tend to do less trading. They tend to be more risk averse, which in many ways is actually very beneficial for investing you ideally have the right type of not overconfidence, but not underconfidence. And I think a lot of females that I've seen that I work with, they tend to be underconfident. And that is something that I found to be much easier to work with than people who are overconfident in their abilities. And so I think it's actually a wonderful opportunity to let people know about just the basic simple methods of investing, say index funds, it sounds like a lot of us are into index funding, and how easy and simple that can be, how the math works over time, and how that can be a big deal for you and your future and for your family. Because if we can elevate people from a position of underconfidence, just slightly up, that can be powerful over time.
2: That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights, we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave, and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Nasima, as I'm listening to the previous discussion, there's this idea of the reticence to push the button on financial decisions. Does this mirror the collaborative nature of nursing in general? I mean, aren't nurses experts at collaborating with physicians, certified nursing assistants, and therapists? Maybe that could explain a pause in making the unilateral decisions that are sometimes necessary when allocating our money.
1: So I think labor and delivery is like one of those kind of unique places. Like I said, I can't speak for everywhere else, but I pretty much tell the doctors what to decide. <laughs> like I have a lot of autonomy and so I've never had that issue. So I can't relate. So that's on me.
3: I think that that last statement is definitely going to like elicit an emotional response out of a lot of the nurses uh, listening right now. But like if we unpack it a little bit and at least in the con, I'll try my best to unpack it in the context of finance. So like with the physician versus critical decision, that's definitely like specialty dependent. But then also, I think it's like just a regulation and and like scope of practice type issue where, you know, I I can't just like unilaterally make uh, decisions for in a lot of situations like medication, like what, you know, how much or whatever to give unless that's specifically ordered. When it comes to finance, I think the reticence is just a pure education breakdown. Because I literally never had a single conversation about finance and nursing school, much less college, much less high school. So if you're just like not used to it at all, then you're scared for anything that that you're unfamiliar with. And then to make matters worse is it's the wild, wild west in the finance industry and everybody is trying to take your money and there's nothing stopping them. So people are just like going to opt out other than being taken advantage of in their mind, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that it is a matter of for nurses, often it's an area that they don't feel comfortable with. And wisely, anybody who has enters an area where they're not comfortable, there's some natural reticence. And I think certain professions may yield a population that has more confidence with very little information. And there are some perhaps that don't, but I don't think you can say nurses all, you know, based on the sample size, nurses don't feel comfortable making decisions I think there's just a natural hesitancy in an area where people don't feel comfortable, where people feel uneducated. And I think that's actually wise. I think that it's wise to pause to think, is this an area I feel comfortable with? But it, I, I also think finances are very emotional for people. And so it's not just the click of a button. It is a it can be an emotional feeling decision. But I do think we need to be careful about those broad sweeps of, could this be related to taking not usually taking making big decisions because I think if you ask any nurse, we are quite used to making big decisions. We're quite used to pulling in people when we need to. So yeah, I would not tend to favor that connection.
3: I think a big part of all of this is the context in history where we are. And so we we often don't talk about the downside of putting so much of your net worth into like uh, index funds or whatever. And very recently in 2008, we've had coworkers that were making all the right decisions and then were about to retire. And then they lost 35% of their portfolio in one year. That's if they were in the S&P 500. And then so the only people that survived that, A, didn't panic sell at the bottom, which is a big question mark for people, right? If you're about to retire and you just lost 30% of your net worth, Like, you're going to think maybe I should get out of this, right? So the only people that survived just waited 10 years for everything to come back up price-wise, B, didn't panic sell, or C, rebalanced into like, more bonds than stocks. And these are all really complicated issues that we probably don't teach enough. But yeah, that's one conversation that I have when people are like, wow, it sounds like index funds are, you know, the golden goose and perfect for everything. And I'm just like, There is a small chance black swan event. The worst possible thing that can happen to you is that you're getting ready to retire in 2008 happens. And then you have to have the stomach to eat that loss and not panic sell at the bottom. But one of the, the great things about nursing and physicians as well is there's such a flexibility of jobs. You can work, you know, you can keep working even if you're retirement age. Tara, let's talk a little bit about that flexibility. Almost every nurse I
2: know usually has a part-time gig on the side, or they're working towards administration, or they're getting another degree. It sounds like there are a lot of options above and beyond basic nursing. Is that true?
5: Absolutely. I would pull back and say that one of the, you know, I, I think of it as one of the tragedies in nursing, though, is a lot of folks start off in a unit on the med surge, intensive care, emergency room, working nights, and they build their lifestyle around, around that salary, and they really pigeonhole themselves into working a night critical care position. When suddenly, you know, their back goes out they realize they're getting too old for nights. They want to go back to school. They have kids, and they want to have more time with them during the day, and they want to go part-time, or they want to go to a clinic job because they're ready to have Christmas off for the first time in 10 years. And they've set their lifestyle up in such a way that they're only able to afford it by staying on nights working in critical care. And I think that's a true tragedy of nursing because you work with so many miserable nurses that are ready to get out, but they're stuck. And then they make the other folks who are delighted and skipping to work and happy and they make them miserable. And then patient outcomes drop. And so I I think, yes, there's lots of flexibility in nursing. We have so many opportunities and I myself have gone through many different avenues of nursing. But when you put yourself in a lifestyle restriction by working nights in an ICU and building your lifestyle around that salary, you've really set yourself up for possible failure.
2: Lynn, let's talk a little bit about the flexibility of nursing. If I recall, you started having dizziness, you had that evaluated and then eventually had surgery. And when you wanted to come back to the nursing you were doing before, you found that it was a little bit difficult. Is that right?
0: Yeah. What happened was I was a fairly new nurse working in the ICU and I really enjoyed it. And then I found out I had a brain tumor. So I had that removed and had to learn how to walk again. And when I went back, it was okay, but it was difficult for me. And so decided to go into administration on the home care side. And I think that's where nursing really can be quite incredible is there are a lot of different opportunities. And so it was a completely different area. It was, but a lot of those skills of multitasking, working with people, healthcare, a lot of that is transferable, even though you would think home care and eventually hospice, very, very different. You might even say opposite of each other. A lot of those skills come with you and a lot of wise employers know this. So that transition actually was fairly wonderful. I had a wonderful employer. Another thing that I think about for nurses for the future is that we, artificial intelligence and, you know, how jobs may change in the future. Nursing is one that has a very good potential outlook as far as not being able to be replaced. It's a very human field. And it's very difficult, unlike some of the other positions, to take over by mechanics. It's just the very nature of it. Basically, I think nursing has tremendous potential in terms of the future, in terms of flexibility. I think employers are going to have to get more flexible with nurses if they want to retain them because people are seeing the value. And also our population demographic, our average age is increasing. Our nurses are retiring. So I think what we're going to see is the future of nursing is more flexible, it's more remote, and we're going to have leadership being more creative to retain those nurses.
3: I'm so glad that you said that, Lynn. Um, I have this dream of going on Shark Tank one day, and my opening line is going to be, how would you like to be part of an industry that isn't going to be replaced by AI in the next 50 years, or in our lifetime? And then in addition to that, so here are just some numbers. I'm not sure if the, how much of the audience is on non-nursing, but in case you didn't know out there, average age of a nurse right now is 55. So even if we had a much younger nursing population, we wouldn't have enough nurses to take care of the aging baby boomer population. It's impossible. The numbers don't line up. And then additionally, you would say, okay, well, in the past, we've brought in nurses from other countries. A couple of things on that. One, our current administration doesn't seem very keen on bringing in more immigrants, and then the second part is that H one B visas. I believe there there was something like a hundred and thirty thousand granted in the last year, and like like a hundred fifteen of those thousand, hundred fifteen thousand of the hundred thirty went to tech, and the rest were combined with everything—doctors, physicians, like everything else. So like you can just see where this trends are happening. You can't, you know, there's a reason why we call it the silver tsunami. Like you can't stop this. And so if you want to ride that wave, nursing, definitely. And then on the flexibility front, there are companies like, like Trusted Health, like the one that I work for, where you can do travel nursing contracts and you can do a staged retirement in nursing where you work like, you know, one, take one assignment or like, couple assignments a week. Some do a couple assignments a quarter, a couple assignments a year. You just can't do that with any other industry that I know of.
0: I wanted to mention something. Now that I left traditional employment, Well, at least I'm pausing it, certainly. I've thought about, am I going to keep my nursing license? I'm current up till 2021, and will I keep it? And I don't actually know the answer to that. I'm just, it's sort of an experiment right now. But what I did notice is I'm getting recruited for a lot of positions, and some of them are travel contracts, and a lot of them are in California. And in California, I can earn in 12 weeks what it took me a year and a half to earn in Washington State. And that's a pretty fair wage most of the time in Washington State. So once you reach a point where you have some wiggle room in your finances, once you reach a point of some financial flexibility, these opportunities that you could normally never, ever consider open up because hardly anybody can consider them. And I thought, wow, the people who really need this are the, just exactly the ones who cannot have that flexibility, who do not have the flexibility. So, that's a very powerful concept to have that flexibility and to know that you have a lot of different options and that that geographic arbitrage component for nursing is absolutely huge.
4: So, we've been talking about a lot of the advantages of being a nurse and going into nursing and the the trends for the high demand for the job. However, we've touched a little bit on the downsides that are unique to nursing. I'd like to go into that a little bit deeper. Tara, do you have any thoughts on what are some of the downsides, the limitations, the challenges you face as a nurse that might be unique to the profession?
5: Well, typically to get your higher salary, you're going to work inpatient nights. So right there, the night shift after a certain age just doesn't feel good anymore. So it's really hard on your body to go through that. I know a lot of folks get off night shifts, you know, 20 pounds heavier because the lifestyle is so difficult to maintain. Um, You end up on call a lot. So even though you're not at work, you're still waiting for your cell phone to ring to say you need to come in. So there's a lot of call that tends to come with those positions. And then there's just a lot of stress that is really hard to decompress from. And so I know when I was a intensive care nurse, I absolutely loved the work that I did, but the constant highest of highs and the lowest of lows just it took a toll you know there wasn't this constant neutral feeling like a lot of business positions have it was this like overwhelming joy that I can't believe we finally got this baby discharged and the family's so excited and oh we did everything perfect to the lowest of lows where there's no chance this child would ever have to survive and we did everything we could and you know you you become so involved with the patient and their families I just, I remember my first death, you know, and I remember as we were taking a moment to, you know, give a moment of peace for this child before we removed life support and just the ugly, violent sobbing, I couldn't stop. And the grandparent had to take me out of the room and consult and comfort me in the hallway while the rest of the family finished their goodbyes. I mean, where else would that happen? What other career could you have that had that much pain and suffering in your moment and it's a beautiful and ugly thing all at the same time so you really have to come into it with the perspective of what can i handle and how am i going to decompress after one of these days it's really hard
3: the hard part about being a nursing and why it's in such high demand is because it's such a hard job and not only is it just back breaking labor literally So many people treat us like servants that are patients, you know, like imagine, you know, all the customers you see in line screaming at people about their Starbucks drink being wrong. Like imagine that, except they're addicted to painkillers and you can't kick them out. Like there's no, you know, like the security doesn't do anything. Like nurses are physically abused more than prison guards are in this nation And again, we can't turn away the patient, right? You're just going to change the assignment and then somebody else is going to get hit and you can't, you know, like nobody really protects us there. And then just psychologically, the stakes are so high for the care that we give. It's really hard when things don't go your way, when a patient dies on your care, at least for me, I don't think I'm alone in this, but you just get this guilt that weighs on you forever. Like, you know, you remember all the patients that have died under your care. And then you can't help but think, like, am I bigger, stronger, fast? Like, if I was bigger, stronger, faster, smarter, would they have been alive? And that's just a heavy burden to carry.
2: Nasima, talk about burnout. You're in obstetrics. That's got to be a very stressful job.
1: I feel like I'm fortunate because I am in labor and delivery. And then, you know, a lot of people think that, oh, your labor delivery is such a joyous environment, like everybody's happy, everybody's having babies until it's not. And when it's not, it is ugly, it is hard, and we are broken down on our knees. And those are things that you carry with you. Those are scars. We know too much. We've seen too much. And it's traumatic. I recently just had to leave a job because of how traumatic it was and you know as a black woman growing up having to see the same like racial stereotypes played out in the healthcare system the things that i didn't want to believe were still happening now and seeing that played out before your eyes those are things that are really hard like the thought of like just people and their unconscious biases playing into their medical care And on so many different levels, nursing care is hard. And at the end of the day, people's lives are in your hands and you have a tremendous responsibility and no nurse takes that lightly. And so to have that heavy on your mind and on your heart at all times takes a physical and emotional toll on you always.
0: Yeah, I wanted to be pretty clear that... Although there's a good financial case for being a nurse, I believe, in many areas of the country, that is not, absolutely not a reason somebody should go into nursing. I think that that it's the opposite. This is something you want to love to do, and then you can make the case for it. You are exposed to disease. You are exposed to people who are having the worst day of their entire life, and you're caring for them in an altered state. People who work nights, that should not. I love what Tara said about nights. That is a significant risk to your health. They've seen lots of differences in blood sugars of folks who work overnight. And I've seen it anecdotally all the time where people gain weight or they become diabetic just from working night shift. And many nurses leave within two years. They leave the profession. So if you're going in for a financial reason, that is not going to be motivation enough to keep you in there. And people do it, I think, because they absolutely love it. The upsides will overtake the downsides, but there are a lot of downsides and the physical strain and the exposure to disease is not something to take lightly.
4: Well, on behalf of me, I'm the only person on here not in the medical profession. I wanted to say thank you to each one of you and all the nurses who are represented in our audience, because we're all going to have to have care one way or the other and I've been through it. I've had family members go through it, and having that nurse that makes that special extra effort, which is way well and beyond just the financial benefit that they're getting from that, is really life changing. So I want to thank you all that for y'all's contribution, and I want to give each of you a chance to kind of take this entire conversation first full circle. Give you each a chance of talking about kind of what Lynn just answered is why go into nursing, what are the good reasons, the real reasons, and then. Talk about the financial aspects of it.
5: The biggest reason I went into nursing and I still feel it today is when you go into that room, that patient's room, and you take your first breath and say, okay, this is the most likely worst possible day of this patient's or family's life. And I am honored to be a part of it. And if I can make it just a little less awful, they can suffer just a little less, they can get just a little more out of me, it makes it all worth it. And even, you know, I was ICU for a while, I was emergency room for a while, and now I'm in clinic. Even in clinic, I walk into that room knowing this could potentially be the worst day of this person's life at this point. You know, maybe this isn't going to be the worst day of their entire life, but at this point in their life, this is the worst possible moment for them. And if we always remember that, it makes what you do feel so much more gratifying. Even when you walk in a room and the person on the phone looks up and says, oh, never mind, it's just the nurse. You take your deep breath, and you remember that it's likely this person's worst day of their life, and they did it, and they will get off their phone eventually to give me their time. It is a, it's a fine profession, and obviously, I'm in the Midwest, so I did not go in it for the money. And so, it is truly a passion of mine, and, and I know the nurses I work with would say the same.
4: Well, I think that's good to keep in mind that when you are the patient, or you are with your family who is a patient, reminding yourself this idea of treating nurses like servants, which I, I mean, I, I can see how that might happen, but at the same time, it's just kind of uncalled for. It's something to remember, something I think the audience might be able to take away from this when you find yourself on the other side of just that nurse coming in. I mean, come on, let's let's give the appropriate respect, right? And also, I want to thank you, up specifically for the work you've done towards or with other nurses. How many people sit down with your coworkers and say, okay, like this is how you do a 401k or in y'all's case, a 403b. How do you get it going and contribute up to that 15% like Daniel talks about when you do that early, the huge impact that it has. So thank you so much for doing that.
5: Oh, thank you. It's my favorite to say, I'm going to teach you how to suction this patient and how to run a code. And then after that, we're going to set up your 401k.
4: Daniel, I'd like to give you a chance for last words on this topic. You've made some really insightful conversation here points that I I was completely unaware of. And I think you represent a younger generation of potentially new nursing students and nurses coming out. And what should they be thinking about? What should they be doing in order to set themselves up for success?
3: So... A message for the young people. Well, first, this is for everybody. If you're in the hospital, you're experiencing anything with nurses and they do something nice, thank them for it in that moment. Because we talk about all these great stories, but the ones that keep us going are these moments and they happen once every six months, <laughs> or like every blue moon where, you know, you just really nailed it. And then the rest of the time, it's you're just slogging through it. And so I'm really, really grateful that Lynn mentioned not to get into this for financial gain. I really am going to incorporate that message a lot more in everything that I write, because it's, it's really true. And I hadn't fully thought about that. If you are prepared to To see the best in humanity and then also see the worst of it and come out on the other end uh, with your mind intact, then you will get rewarded for that service. And we know this from research that we get the most satisfaction in our life from serving others and our community. So you can get all of those things in nursing, which is why why I think it's just such a great thing for people to consider for their future.
4: Lynn, I'd like to give you a chance to give your last words on what would you share with the audience on those who are considering going into the nursing field and how best to transition away, similar to what you've done, when the time is appropriate.
0: So I don't think I talked about this, but I was in healthcare leadership and nursing leadership for five years. So I was a nurse and then in leadership, like Nusema for about five years, well, one year as a charge, four as a administrator, and then back as an hourly RN for a couple of years before I left as a nice transition, which I do recommend scaling back to part-time before you leave as a transition. But something that I've learned in having many staff and, and in myself is if you do a visual imagination of a patient has sort of a circle around them, if you sort of have a circle around yourself, In nursing, the ideal is if you're able to put one foot in your own circle and one foot in their circle so that you can be with them but not be completely encapsulated in everything that's going on with them and everything that they are. Otherwise, you become engulfed in their issues. If you have both feet in your own circle, then you become disengaged. You become callous to what is going on. So when you start reaching the point where you don't have your feet, in the right places for a long period of time, that is sort of a point in which people should start to say, hmm, is something happening here? Do I need to take a step back? Do I need to perhaps take a break? Maybe not leave the profession, but do I need to take a break and reassess and realign?
4: So Nasima, do you have any last thoughts you'd like to share with the audience?
0: I just like to piggyback off of what Lynn says.
1: A lot of people are like, oh, wow. Like a lot of people reached out to me as far as like how much money I make in nursing. And like, do you think that that's a good profession for me? No, boo, it's not. Unless it is truly your passion. Nursing is something like I get down on my knees and I change pads. I clean up poop you know, I get peed on, I get pooped on. Like it is not for the faint of heart. And if you don't have that passion and if you can't come in a room and objectively know that this patient is in a vulnerable state and is looking for you to save their lives, to protect them every single day, it's not for you.
4: That's heavy. I remember when our first child was born and I just was not prepared for how intense of a process that is and what everybody goes through it because mean, it is a process for everyone involved in, in the birthing room. And afterwards, the feeling you have of seeing your first child, but then I was the one having the baby and I was exhausted. I can't imagine what my wife or the other people helping her having our child born was like. So I just cannot say enough about how much of an impact the people who helped that process. And I'm sure everybody who's had children would say the same thing. It's a big deal. So thank you so much. So Tara, I'm gonna give you a chance to promote yourself. Where can we find you? And just say a real big thank you for making the suggestion of having this conversation.
5: So you can find me. I'm a moderator on the Facebook group, RN to Wealthy. It's where I've basically just asked a bunch of nurses to join me and talk about their financial struggles and their financial successes so that we can kind of build each other up as a group and learn how to set ourselves up for a wealthy future instead of, you know, paying everybody else first, pay ourselves first and allow us to make choices in our future that are most appropriate for our individual selves, such as going to day shift, going to clinics, working part time, taking a couple years off while our babies are small, having that bandwidth and, and be allowed to do that. I think you need to be thinking big picture when you start your very first day in the unit. You need to know what your big picture might look like and how to prepare yourself financially for it. So at our end of wealthy is where we talk about that in the Facebook group.
4: Perfect. So join and Tara are into wealthy if you are into the nursing field and want to learn more about that. Fantastic. What's up next for you, Tara? Anything new happening in your life that you want to share?
5: Not much is going on. I'm slowly cutting back my hours just so I have more time with my small kids. Three days a week is my sweet spot. So working in a clinic three days a week, I think I can do that indefinitely because I love it so much.
4: That's perfect. All right, Naseem, I'll give you a chance to promote where you are and what is up next for you?
5: Hey,
1: so you can find me over at financiallyintentional.com. I have a pretty vibrant Financially Intentional Facebook group. Ironically, what's up next for me is I am launching a podcast just for nurses and financial independence. And you guys are all going to be my guests. So that's what's up next for me. I love talking about finances. I love talking about nursing. And so this is going to be the perfect mix. And I think I, you know, have something a little bit unique to bring to the space. So that's what's up next with me.
4: Awesome. Can't wait to hear more about that. And let us know and we will promote it however we can to help you out. All right, Lynn, I'll give you a chance to promote where you are or where where can we find you on the internet and answer the question, what is up next for you?
0: So, I just started a website called nursenumbers.com, N-U-R-S-E-N-U-M-B-E-R-S, just uh, all merged together because what I found was a lot of people wanted to find out more about finance and I could not accomplish that in a five-minute conversation over a beer we all have kids so i decided to make a website and then what i found out was that people wanted to work with me one on one specifically on their situation so i have one on one coaching that i've just started it is very fun for me. I offer 15 minute consultations for free for folks. And one of the big things people have been coming to me about is actually what are the healthcare options in early retirement? Or what are the healthcare options if I want to drop down to per diem? Because they know I've been extensively researching this for years. And I'm familiar with insurance because of my background. So that is a fun place to find me. It's been fun to design the website. And that's what's up next for me.
4: Fantastic. Wanna hear more about that as
3: that progresses? Daniel, how about you? Where can we find you and what is up next for you? You can find everything that I've been writing about lately on trustedhealth.com slash blog. And if any nurses out there are getting burned out and just want to make a bunch of money <laughs> to do the, what you're doing right now, you can check that website out, take some travel assignments. You don't have to travel to another state either. You can just take travel assignments in your own city and just do that over and over again and do a stage retirement that way, or just, like I said, make a lot of money that way. And then what's up next for me? I am currently working on a project that combines... I've been taking computer science classes on the side, and so I'm doing a report on the salary data that Trusted Health has been collecting for travel nurses all around the nation. So I'm going to look at comparisons by city, by specialty, and all that. I, I want to see where the best bang for buck is for nursing relative to the cost of living as well. So that's what's up next for me.
2: All right. This has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we'd like to thank Daniel Diaz, Lynn Frere, Nasima McElroy, and Tara Gesh. That's a wrap.
0: You're asking really deep questions here. <laughs> they're <laughs> really good. Um, I I think I have to think on this too. I'm sorry.
4: I'm stumping the jump. So you he just just <laughs> <Yeah. taught>
0: me. <laughs> <laughs> these are like these are are questions you think about for decades.
4: Well, you got to remember, this is the podcast that asks the questions that don't have clear answers. So we really put you on the spot, don't we? Here, <laughs>
1: uh, people just come to me because they're like, see a million dollars, and they're just like,
5: what? <laughs> <laughs>
4: Well, off a million dollars, yeah.
5: Yeah. <laughs> People come to me, but they're like, I want to, I want to have money, but I don't want to live like you. <laughs> and they know they're like, you were the same pair of Dansko clogs for 15 years. Like that's not a thing. I'm like, it's a thing
0: because there's a thing called a shoe cobbler who will take care of your shoes and you never need new ones. Send yeah. them to me because I we live on a golf course and we have a Lexus. It can happen. Hey. It can happen.
1: I, have a, I have a Tesla, so, you know, I'm oh, not, yeah. I'm
5: not yeah. that FI girl. Oh, yeah. You West Coasters, <laughs> I don't want to hear it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> good, good conversation going if you have anything else to say. Leave it to Doc to get controversial
3: with his questions and say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hashtag trigger warning. <laughs> <laughs> That's good.